Hello and welcome to another episode of The Job Pod with Youth Employment Services. The Job Pod is a podcast where we talk about all things employment and today we've got Elisa Gearstein with us. She's a prof at the U of M and we will be talking about university and kind of some of the things around that. So Elisa, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure, I'm Elisa Gearstein. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Manitoba, which means I'm still pretty new at my job. I started at the U of M two Septembers ago, and I work in the Faculty of Science, where I am cross-appointed between the departments of microbiology and the Department of Statistics. Perfect. And before we get too much into kind of what you do now, can you tell us a little bit about what your first job was and what kind of things you learned at that job that you use in your career now? My first job was at the first Silver City in Winnipeg, which is the one in St. Patel. I worked there right when it opened, so you can figure out how old I am. And I mostly worked in the concession stand, so I tried to upsell people on popcorn and pop (laughs) and buy combos. That's what they like you to do. What did I learn at my first job? I guess I learned how to work as part of a team, which is probably common for a lot of people working in their first job. So it was a pretty busy place to work. We were kind of on top of each other all the time. We had to make sure that everything was stocked properly when things weren't, you know, you had to make make sure there was enough popcorn and when there wasn't, you had to make more popcorn. But, you know, learning how to work as part of a team and work in this like sort of dynamic, fast paced environment, which I actually really loved. I loved that job. It was super fun. I watched a ton of movies that year. That's awesome. Uh, And obviously, in between then and now, you've probably had some other training and job experiences. So what kind of training or experiences did you need in order to do your job now? So the training I need to do my job now is basically school, more school, and then even more school. So to get my job as a professor, I did an undergraduate degree. And then a master's degree, which is not required, although something that I recommend. Then I got a PhD. Then I did what's called a postdoc, which is after you get a PhD, before you get a real job, what we call a real job, which is actually a terrible expression because they're all real jobs. Um, But I guess before you get a professor job or before you get a well-paid job, let's go with that. And then I got my job as a professor. So that's quite a lot of school. Roughly how many years were you in school there? Four-year undergrad, two-and-a-half-year master's, five-year PhD, four-year postdoc. Wow. Yeah, a lot. But, like I said, those are not. it's not just school. So I was paid a salary from the time I was out of undergrad. So from master's onward, I was paid a salary. Not a great salary, but enough to pay rent, buy groceries and you know do one or two leisure activities which because I was in Vancouver meant I was spoiled and got to go snowboarding because Whistler has really cheap student season passes. Nice that's a hot tip that's good to know. Um, (laughs) And what kind of advice would you give to young people who are interested in following a similar career path to you? So I think that there's A lot of people in academia who think that academia is the only thing that can make them happy. So like being a professor is the be all and end all and it's the greatest job and how could you ever want to do any other job? And I am not that person at all. So being a professor is amazing. I love my job. I'm grateful to have my job. But it's definitely 
you have to sacrifice a lot and then on different axes. So most people don't get to pick the city that they will eventually live in. I am unbelievably fortunate that I actually got to come back to Winnipeg, which is where I'm from, to actually work at a university in my hometown. I have a few other friends that manage this as well, but it's really not that common. You also give up a lot of earning potential along the way. So you heard all the years I was in school. And although I was making a salary, you know, I wasn't making anywhere near as much as many of my peers who went into more sort of normal jobs. <laughs> so I'm not really answering your question very well. But basically, if you have the right mindset and the right temperament, academia can be amazing. You have to be super self-motivated and pretty willing to kind of put your adult life on hold for a lot of years. And if you can manage that, it's a job that offers you a lot of freedom and a lot of flexibility. But there are a lot of other jobs that have, I think, similar aspects and similar traits that don't necessarily require people to give up quite so much. So one of the reasons why I really like the master's degree is because if you get a two or three year master's, you get a taste of research, you can see if you like it, and it'll open up the potential for other research careers as well, like in government or in industry. So I guess broadly, I would say to get a research career, so not just academia, but research and academia, government or industry, you probably need a master's. And then you need to decide what's something you like, if you like being self-directed, um, and if you like sort of that type of work, because certainly not everybody does, which is totally okay. And what are some of the strengths that you have that have allowed you to succeed in your role now? So maybe I should tell you what being a professor actually is. That would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so I... I'm formally, my formal job description is 40% teaching, 40% research, 20% service. So that means for me that I teach two undergraduate classes a year. So I teach one in the statistics, like one statistics class and one microbiology class at the undergraduate level. I also teach at the graduate level. That's mostly in the microbiology department. And so I'm teaching two undergrad classes and part of a grad class every year. And that counts for my sort of 40% teaching. So a lot of people think that being a professor is just teaching, which it is not, because I have a whole other aspect of my job that sometimes isn't that visible when you're an undergraduate in university, which maybe explains why some of your professors seem like they're not always that available, because when they're not in the classroom, most of us are reading, are leading research labs. So I have graduate students and undergraduate students that are doing research with me that I am helping on almost a daily basis to accomplish their research and their research goals. So in our case, my lab studies fungal human fungal pathogens, and we're particularly interested in the evolution of drug resistance and human virulence. So why do some things make you sick when others don't? How do those things acquire the traits that let them be better pathogens? So let them be more resistant to the drugs we try and give them or be more harmful to our bodies. And so those are the things that my students work on. And so when I'm not in the classroom, I'm helping my students do research. And what that looks like is designing experiments, analyzing data, reading a lot of papers, writing a lot of papers, and sending a ton of emails. And then I also have what we call service. So that's things like sitting on other students' committees, so in my department or other departments, sitting on university committees at the department level, at the faculty level, or even at the university level, 
And then I also do things sort of outside the context of the university with scientific organizations that do things like run conferences or give student awards. I review scientific papers for the literature. So when someone submits a paper, it's peer reviewed. So scientists do peer review. It's kind of like a voluntary service. We don't get paid by journals to do it. So basically, we wear a ton of different hats. So to loop back around to the question, you have to be really good at multitasking, really good at, at prioritizing, and I think really good at being sort of uncomfortable with not knowing what you're doing a lot of the time, because at least as a scientist, our research is always operating in the space of the unknown. So we're always trying to discover new things or figure something out. And so we're just constantly trying to solve puzzles, which means you're constantly in this world where no one can tell you exactly what to do because no one's done this before. And that's not always easy. Um, and not everyone likes that. So you get some students that definitely love school and love or like studying for exams when they're told, read these textbook chapters. And they're good at that, but then you get them in the lab and you're just kind of say, okay, here's your objective, figure out how to do it. And not everyone likes that, which is, again, totally fine. We all have different strengths. Yeah, I I definitely made it all the way through an undergrad without realizing all of the things my profs were doing. <laughs> so thank you for that. And that's on us. We don't, I don't, you know, we're, academics are terrible at actually telling people what we do. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, it makes complete sense when I think about it, because my profs were always, like, publishing things, but I just didn't even really think about that as being part of their work as being a prof. I never made that connection before, so that's great. <laughs> and um, if I should also, like, I mean, if we're sharing information, the other, like, thing is that the outward-facing part of our job is teaching, right? But we get grants to do our research based on our research, not on our teaching excellence. and so. It becomes a difficult thing for some people to figure out how to prioritize, how to balance teaching and research when obviously we want to do right by our undergraduate students that we're in the classroom with, but we don't actually get rewarded that much for doing a good job of teaching, which is unfortunate and I think should probably change. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting to think about. I mean, you, you just kind of touched on this a little bit, too, but what are some of the weaknesses that you've had to work on in your career to kind of be successful in what you're doing now? So I think in some ways, it's I find things hard when I'm... So there's a lot of rejection. We apply for a lot of grants. We write a lot of papers that get rejected. Our grants often get rejected. More often than not, the success rate for a grant is uh, the most 40%, but often closer to 20% or 8%. And so more people are getting turned down than are um, getting told yes. A lot of our experiments fail. So either we did something wrong and it just didn't work and we had to figure out why, or we did it right and it didn't give us the answer we wanted and we don't understand it. And so it's hard not to take things personally, which, you know, I don't have like the hardest skin. And so that can be kind of demoralizing where you feel like you face a lot of, it can be, yeah, it can be pretty hard emotionally and, and hard to deal with, which is why I actually really love teaching because that feels more like it's just a really positive thing I can do. that's productive and gives me a lot of pleasure compared to the constant rejection sometimes on the research side of things. I think it, yeah, I think it's all sort of, 
inside your head. I think it's, I constantly feel like I'm fighting my brain telling me I can't do something, which is silly because I think most of us can do anything. We just have to learn. It's, it's constantly remembering. You can learn, most of us can learn how to do anything if we decide we want to and put the effort in. But I'm constantly learning new things in my job. And so remembering that just because I don't current, I'm not currently an expert in something doesn't mean I can't be an expert in something, even though it sometimes feels insurmountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you probably weren't really as much an expert in microbiology when you got your first job as you are now, I imagine. No, um, not at all. In fact, I didn't even take a single microbiology class in undergrad. Really? So uh, there was something not even until grad school that you got into? Yeah, so my undergraduate degree is in ecology and evolution, which I worked on birds. I did like a summer of bird field research in my undergrad. And then when I started grad school, I kind of just fell into this project that was a microbiology project and basically had to learn as I was going um, and then discovered I'd got super lucky because I actually really love microbiology. And now my job, I have a joint position in the statistics department and I've definitely taken statistics courses. And I, if I look at the average microbiologist, I you know think my statistics skills are pretty good, but I do not have an undergraduate honors degree in statistics. And so again, I have a lot to learn and I'm, like many people, sort of constantly fighting imposter syndrome. Yeah, that is a very common one that imposter syndrome comes up a lot with our clients, just in terms <laughs> of, um, and it's something I've definitely experienced too, but it, it can be hard when you're like looking at a job posting or looking at a program and thinking like, oh, geez, there's no way I could do that. But then, you know, oftentimes you actually can is the, the fun thing to learn. So for youth who aren't interested in going all the way to a PhD level, but are interested in post-secondary education, what kind of advice would you give to them? So I think it's similar to some of the things I've talked about. So I think you have to be in control. You have to take control of your own life. So education isn't passive. You can't just show up and expect to do well. And so you know, figuring out what you want to do and figuring out which classes you want to take and then really studying, you know, going to class, studying, doing the assignments, but also getting help when you need it. So things like if you're struggling, making an appointment with your professor or your TA to talk to them to get their help with things, it's okay to ask for help. So the University of Manitoba, like all universities, sort of has people on campus whose job it is to help students succeeding. So yeah, I think just being active rather than passive in education and then figuring out what your passion is because it's hard. The university's hard. And if you're not passionate about something, you know, you're not going to love all of your classes. Fine. There's always going to be some class that you have to take that's so far for your major that you're not going to like. Of course there is. But you should like most of your major. And so if you're taking courses because you feel like you ought to. So I, I started out as a pre-med student, like a, you know many people who were good at biology in high school got told to go into medicine. I started out as a pre-med student and then discovered after first year that I didn't like anything about anatomy or physiology. So why would I go to med school? And I looked in the course calendar and actually just looked and made a list of every single class that was of interest to me. And it happened they were all in this ecology and evolution degree, which is not something I'd considered beforehand. And so I think also, you know, maybe being open to different degrees than just the ones you've heard about before. Um, high school guidance counselors don't always know everything. So, you know, talking to career counselors and, and considering 
if you're unhappy, are you unhappy because you don't want to be in school or are you unhappy because you're in the same major and you're in that major because it's something you feel like you ought to do versus what you actually want to do? Hmm. I definitely had an experience where I went into university straight out of high school and went into a degree program that I, you know, figured, well, this is probably the one I want to do. And I hated it so much that I took two years off after that first year. (laughs) And then when I went back, I went back into a program that I hadn't even heard before uh, going back. A friend just mentioned it to me and I went in and it was Urban and Inner City Studies at the U of W and I loved it so much, but I definitely experienced like going in and thinking okay I'm gonna do it and absolutely hating it so much so I'm glad I went back like two years later but I definitely needed that time off in between to figure out what I wanted to do and I think that's a pretty common experience yeah and there's nothing wrong with taking you know with reassessing where you're at and you know taking time off is also completely okay so I took time off after undergrad, I took time off after my master's, I took time off after my PhD, and I took time off after my postdoc. I took time off after every single degree I had, which is not that common, actually. I was really lucky and privileged that I could afford to do that. Um, so I mean, I, you know, hung out on my parents' couch a lot, but and, and worked, but it's not a rush. It's not a life is not a race. I don't I don't know why we sometimes feel like it, it is. It's just it's not. But there's so many cool programs out there that are not in all the books are, you know, you read as a kid, they're like firefighter and nurse and doctor and, you know, yeah, like urban planning or I don't know. There's so many cool degrees and not all of them are at university either. There's also tons of awesome programs at places like Red River that I think some students that come to U of M might be more happy with. So I think that's also something that more people should consider than potentially do. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of options for like upskilling or training or things like that that aren't just an undergraduate degree. And if uh, you are listening to this and you're interested and you're post high school looking for something to do, we can meet with you at Youth Employment Services. You can meet with one of our employment facilitators or you can meet with Laura Lynn, who is our tuition waiver coordinator to talk about some of those options. And we also are part of a partnership called Futures Forward which is a collaborative partnership specifically for youth who were formerly in or who are currently in CFS care. Uh, And part of that partnership is working towards transitional supports to post-secondary and employment services. So uh, if you have been in CFS care before and are interested in post-secondary, definitely get in touch with us. There are tuition waivers that you can get your entire degree covered Um, And we can also talk to you about other bursaries, student aid, and other funding options as well. And if you are not coming from CFS care but are still interested in post-secondary, we can still connect with you to talk about your options and other funding options for you too. But there's definitely ways to get there. So that's great. Elisa, is there anything else you wanted to share? I guess just to reiterate that if you are in post-secondary, there's lots of opportunities available to you outside of your classes. So I've touched on having undergraduates work in my research lab. That's We have tons of undergrads working in our research labs. So if there's a professor you like, talk to them about potential options. These are paid positions in the summer. U of M has actually a phenomenal program to fund undergraduate students in the summer. So if you think you're interested in research, you don't have to wait until you're done undergrad. You can start as early as the summer after first year. There's other jobs on campus too. And so I think 
So I didn't go to school at U of M. I went to school in Ontario where most people came from other places. And I think one of the things that can be hard at U of M is because so many students live off campus or with their families or, you know, went to high school here. So they have all their high school friends. But sometimes people don't take advantage of sort of on-campus life as much as in some other places. But I think it's such a brief period of time in your life that you're an undergraduate that if you can like really embrace that experience, it's really a unique a unique time. And the university itself has a lot to offer in addition to just classes. And from what I've seen, the students who are more involved are also the ones who actually do better. So things like intramural sports or, you know, working on campus or being a member of a club on campus, you know, the students who are involved also sort of do better academically. So academics isn't everything. And I really do encourage people to sort of take advantage of those things. And if you don't know how to access that, just ask. Because that's what people are there for, both staff and professors. We just want to help people succeed. That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. It was great to chat with you and hear about some of the behind the scenes stuff that I definitely didn't know. And as I said before, if you are interested in going to post-secondary or looking at other post-high school training and career options, and you would like to talk to someone about it, our employment facilitators or our tuition waiver coordinator, Laura Lynn, can help you out with that. So you can find us at yesmb.ca and go to our contact us page to get in touch today to talk more about your options and how to achieve your goals. Thanks for joining us on the chat line.